Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. What do most kids do in church nowadays? They're on their phones. And I think if preachers and pastors continue just to preach and not and not speak, it's it's like it's like me going to China and I preach in English. How ineffective is that? I mean, it, you all, everyone would agree. You know, come on, man, learn learn the language. But why do we not have that same expectation for generational language barriers? We have seen social media lead to bullying, which has led to suicide. Well, then if the demonic has the power to move through videos, comment sections, and social media, why do we think Holy Spirit is limited? What are the limits on reaching the next generation? Well, today's guest says there are no limits and that we need to push the bar on traditional evangelism and reach the Gen Z and younger generations through their phones. He's recently released a book, Don't Scroll Evangelism in the Digital Age, where he explores how his initially small ministry gained a social media following of over one million. His ministry now hosts virtual events through TikTok and Instagram for healing, baptism, deliverance, and salvation. Today on Connections, he's going to share with us what a digital mission is, how we can reach the youth out there. He'll also share with us and let us know whether or not young people are still hungry for Jesus. We're joined today by Brian Barcelona. He's the founder of One Voice Student Missions. He's also the author of The Jesus Club and Don't Scroll Evangelism in the Digital Age. We'd like to get to know you a little bit better. You've got quite an awesome story. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, well, I was uh, I was an atheist until I was 16 years old and I encountered God radically um, at the age of 16. And it was then where... I really just began to to journey uh, on, you know, reaching young people and discovering this passion I had for God, and it was pretty wild. Tell us about that um, that experience you had meeting God. How did that come about? Yeah, I was uh, I got invited to a church, uh, and this guy had told me if I went, he'd buy me a smoothie, and so I went to this service. And in the back of this room, I I just said, God, I don't know if you're real, but if you are, I dare you to touch me. And uh, I had a praying grandma and a grandma that was a Christian. And uh, in that moment, what happened next just changed my life. I just felt this overwhelming love come over me. I just began to weep. And that night, I just gave my life to Christ. That was in 2007. And I'm not saying there hasn't been weak moments in my faith. But I have not left the Lord since. It's been, it was just a radical, radical encounter. That's awesome. What instilled in you then this like deep desire to reach young people? I know you've done a lot of work with uh, different organizations um, reaching out to young people. Where'd that come from? Honestly, that came from from the from the Lord. I I had no desire to reach young people when I got saved. <clears throat> I was a musician. And so I was on the worship team and I wanted to go to Christ, uh, Christ for the nations in Texas. I wanted to pursue worship leading. And then one day at a camp, I was in the back of this tent and I just felt the Lord speak to me. And he said, I'm going to save high schools in America and I want to partner with your life to do it. And I, 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 I always say that God interrupted my life. And this interruption became one of the greatest invitations that I would take for the next 12 years. Now, speaking of that um, ministry and reaching out to youth and young people, what's the best part about that? Um, I think the best part 
about reaching young people is when you when a young person encounters God, it's just authentic. I mean, not that it's not <clears throat> when it's older people in church, but young people don't have to be polite. They don't have to, you know, they don't have to, to give a courtesy stand in, the, in an altar call. They don't have, like, it's just authentic, especially when you go into, you know, for 11, 10, 11 years, I preached in public high schools before digital stuff. And when you go into schools like Compton, South Central, East LA, these schools in rough neighborhoods, those kids owe you nothing. You know, and so it's it's really awesome just to witness uh, God transform a life before you. It's kind of like if you were able to plant a seed and then actually watch the process of roots and fruit and, um, you know, leaves. And you, know, you don't really get to see all that because it's, it happens underground. I feel like when you preach in schools, it's a front row seat to uh, to the seed of God's word getting planted. And then it starts producing life in a young person. You've started up your own ministry, One Voice Student Missions. You've been telling us a little bit about that. Uh, where and why did you decide to start this up? I had no desire to start <laughs> anything. I I just started reaching young people. And after everything started growing, we started seeing clubs of hundreds. Um, and the largest club at that time was 600 kids a week. There was another club of 300, another club of you know 300. Uh, it was a, it was actually a couple students that were like, man, what do you, what, what are we going to call this? And I was like, I have no idea. And a couple of the students said, why don't we call it One Voice? And uh, and I was like, nah, that sounds kind of funny. I don't know if I'm going to call it One Voice. And lo and behold, here we are, many years later. And so we, I mean, I like I think like anything else, we started an organization to uh, facilitate the need. It wasn't an organization started to then hopefully fulfill a need. It was kind of the opposite. You've got a brand new book out called Don't Scroll, Evangelism (laughs) in the Digital Age. And yeah, that really caught me because you've been ministering to young people for 12 years. Like you said, what's changed in that 12 years? Is the digital age the biggest change that you've seen in young people and uh, how you can reach them? Or how has ministry changed reaching out to young people? Oh, for sure. I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't know much about generations and all that stuff, you know, before. But I, I look at, uh, I look at when I started preaching in two thousand and nine. I was kind of on the tail end of millennials. Um, you know, I was still pretty young at the time. I was eighteen, um, and I didn't realize that I was the generations were changing to Gen Z. And when you look at the the technology, I mean, I remember my first Instagram account. I remember when the iPhone uh, 3 came out, you know, iPhone 3G, you know, I, like there's just technology has just drastically shifted so much of, I think, the way we reach people, what we do, how we do it. And so I think to, I think I just I think I just recognize young people encounter God differently when I grew up, you know, my dad had a pager, you know, we had pay phones. I remember cassette players and CD players. And uh, there was no emotional connection to technology back then. If you might remember, you had AOL dial-up, you know, it took you forever to get the internet running. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, then you couldn't use the phone in your house, you know. Yeah, and then mom yes. picked up the phone and you lost your connection after the page finally loaded. So <laughs> Exactly. There was zero zero emotional connectability 
with our generation, at least mine, older, but Gen Z's not like that. Gen Z's a generation of FaceTime, a generation of Zooms, of emojis, of text messaging, a generation where you can actually see if the other person read your message. I mean, it's it's a different level of technology, and I, I think I think we have to embrace that the mess the message doesn't change the method does i'm pretty sure if jesus was alive today he wouldn't be riding a donkey probably be you know maybe in a tesla i don't know saving gas i just i just think that you know we we can't marry our methods um Mm. you know you you can't marry your methods that that's what gets people stuck for for decades like you live that out like your ministry you host virtual events online right and i mean we're talking about like healing services baptisms presenting the salvation message what are people's response when they see what you're doing like what what's the response from the wider church been to what you're doing and how you're doing it um i think initially a lot of people could not understand the like the the reach um, you know, when you when you tell someone, yeah, we're reaching five million a month. I mean, that's kind of a large number. It, it disconnects with the heart. But then when you start showing people individual stories of kids um, that watched a video, gave their life to Christ, and then jumped on a Zoom and we baptized them, you know, they filled up their bathtub, you know, with proper clothing, of course, and they baptized themselves in their bath. It's, it's a different. It's a different. Uh, it's a different level of connecting. You know, I asked the Lord in the beginning because uh, I didn't have language. And I was like, man, God, how do I explain digital stuff to people? Um, and so I, I felt like he spoke to me in Acts. You know, we've all read about the apostles and the miracles they did and signs and wonders. But I think we forget that in Acts, there's a, there's a account of one of the apostles who walks and his shadow heals the sick. And I was, and the mm-hmm. Lord, the Lord spoke to me. He said, that's what your, your social media is, Brian. It's just your shadow. But the shadow also has the ability to change lives. You think about what about, what about the, the, the verse of the apostle who laid hands on the handkerchief and demons were casted out and the sick were healed. Well, that's your comment section. Huh. I mean, I, I think if we're honest, we have seen social media lead to bullying, which has led to suicide. Would you guys agree? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. then if the demonic has the power to move through videos, comment sections, and social media, why do we think Holy Spirit is limited? I love that. And as uh, as an older, quote-unquote older, we're all about the same age here, person, I was struggling to think, like, how how do we do this? Because... I don't want to be in a church and I want to be around people, but it, you just explained it right there. I mean, what do most kids do in church nowadays? They're on their phones. And I think if preachers and pastors continue just to preach and not, and not speak, it's, it's like, it's like me going to China and I preach in English. How ineffective is that? I mean, it, you all, everyone would agree, you know, come on, man, learn, learn the language. But why do we not have that same expectation for generational language barriers? What's the biggest thing that you've seen from those that you have reached? Uh, what what have you seen share with us so that us who don't see this happening on a regular basis can get a better understanding? Um, man, there's you know there's so many good things 
about this generation that's entangled in so many crazy things. I think you see Gen Z is vocal. Um, Gen Z doesn't just obey to obey, but they're super teachable at the same time. Gen Z also is not, uh, from what I've gathered, it's not really about fluff and, and, and personality-driven Christianity. I mean, we're doing an event September 3rd here in Dallas, Texas, called Gen Z for Jesus. And we are not, um, we are not promoting bands and speakers. Hmm. Um, and that's been one of the favorite parts from young people that they've said. And you look at this generation and the questions they ask, the, uh, you know, the, it's, it's just deeper. I mean, the, the number one question we got asked of all 2020, 2021 is end times, mark of the beast the return of Christ. These are probably not normal questions that teenagers in the past were asking, you know? Yeah. And so I just, yeah, I, you know, I'll give you an analogy that's really helped me understand how I think we treat the next generation. I don't know if you've ever, if any of you guys were video gamers ever, but uh, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not crazy old, but I grew up, you know, with Nintendo, you know, Mario, Super Mario and, uh, PlayStation One, and I remember when my cousins or my siblings would come over, or I would go over to an older siblings or older sorry older cousin's house, and they wanted to play with you to prevent your younger brother from messing up the game you were playing. You would unplug one of the controllers and give them an unplugged controller. <laughs> yeah, they would they would think they were playing. Well, that's what we've done to the next generation. We've unplugged their controller and we said, "Yeah, play with us. Come on." You know, and we were afraid that they're going to mess it up. I think Gen Z also, when you look at how quick some of these guys have gotten notoriety and fame, fame is a very low, low, uh, low worth currency in this generation where maybe millennial celebrity pastors were a thing. It was cool. I know plenty of Gen Zers that are far more famous than some of the most known pastors that have been around for 50 years. Um, so the fame means nothing. The notoriety means nothing. It's true authenticity uh, that means everything. Are are people like are these younger generations responsive to your message? Do they want to hear about Jesus still? Do they want to hear about the gospel? Yeah, um, I mean, on a metrics level. Our videos combined with our two hashtags have reached 500 million. Um, thousands have been saved. Um, when we would call a fast, I remember we did it, we called a 40 day fast. We promoted it for a week and had over 1,200 kids that committed to fast. Mm. I just, I think a lot of times, like anything, when, when you look, when you turn on the news, I mean, the news and media has one job, unless you're godly. It's to cause chaos and confusion, in my opinion, in the name of giving facts and truth, which are quite distorted in today's generation, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, I think you, you have two sides that go very extreme on both ways. And this is why us as believers, we are to look at the worst news through the lenses of the gospel. When you look at, I think it's Matthew 24, Jesus lays out the most terrible things that are coming 
Um, you know, I, I don't know if you guys have ever read that verse. It's not really one that I would say is preached a ton in churches. It's not really one that is uh, emphasized a lot. But in Matthew 24, you see that Jesus talks about people being misled. He talks about rumors of wars. He talks about nation will rise up against nation. There's going to be famines, earthquakes, all tribulations, all of these things. I mean, it's 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 uh, it's pretty wild. And then in verse 14, he says, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached. I mean, in the middle of all the calamity, he sticks the good news inside yeah. the middle of it. And I just think that, <laughs> that, man, we can sit here and be doom and gloom. I don't know when Christ is going to return. Um, I don't know what's going to happen in with all the nation and the economy. But I do know that this gospel must be preached. And that's so a, I think I think the gospel always has relevancy. Yeah, that's such a great point. And he's talking about like you'll see all this increase in wickedness, right? And the gospel will be preached everywhere. So yeah, lots of uh hope to hang on to in the midst of especially right now, people maybe feel like everything's burning around them, right? And yeah. Yeah, we still have a job to participate in with that. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And th- these hours test us. How in the world do you use a digital ministry to do things like baptism? <laughs> Explain this to me, a Baptist pastor. <laughs> yeah, I you know it's I I jump on socials because of obviously God's calling, but also when there is no method, when there is no method, um, you have to figure out a way. And I think that that's what, that's what, that was our only way to do it. And so when you think about, you know, Jesus is clear, you, you know, you repent and be baptized. And we're like, how the heck do we get the kids to baptize them? Oh, let's get on, let's just get them on a Zoom. Let's have them fill their bathtubs, go to a pool, go to a lake. You stay on the Zoom, and we're going to walk you through the confession of faith you made, and we're going to baptize you, and kids would just dunk themselves. That's cool. I mean, this might be a little bit controversial, but there was one kid who, I don't know if it was because of his economic status, they didn't have a bathtub, or, you know, he he's like, man, I don't have anything to, to baptize in. Um, can I use a, a big bucket of water? And I was like, well, I, I never read in Scripture that, you know, that, that God judges the baptism on the amount of water that's yep, in the yeah. pool more than the act of faith that you so desire to obey God's word. And so, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Love it. What advice do you have for ministries and pastors about how we can maybe adapt and use social media in new ways to reach people? Yeah, man, you know, I got trained by two high schoolers, like two guys trained me. <laughs> and it was humbling because I I had been I've been preaching for for, de- for a decade. I've preached in stadiums. I've preached in conferences. I like, and to have all of a sudden um, two teenagers teaching me was humbling yet awesome at the same time, you know. And so, I I would just say if there's young people you could learn from, learn, um, you know. And 
we have an app that you can download called the Jesus Clubs. We have a whole training for parents. And if you want to get on that app and, and be trained how to use digital. But, yeah, I would just say whatever, whatever it takes. You know, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the Moravians. Uh, I haven't, no. So there's a there's a there's a a, a story you got you to look you can look this up yourself. But the Moravians were these company of believers that sold themselves into slavery so they could preach to the slaves. Huh. And I think it's interesting, like that, like those people could do something so wild. I'm pretty sure that we could download an app and learn how to communicate on a 30 second to a minute video. What's so interesting about the generation that we're in is I, I really believe that we will have zero excuse before the throne of why we couldn't share our faith. At this mm-hmm. point, with the reach of people at the touch of our hands, preaching the gospel is not a matter of if you can, it's a matter of do you want to. Yeah. Um, it's now a matter of, I just don't want to preach the gospel period, you know? And so, yeah. At the end of the day, who are you hoping will pick up? Don't scroll. And what do you hope they will take away after reading that book? Everybody. I hope young, old, um, you know, we have hundreds of kids that are part of the Jesus clubs. And I've also trained you know, 70 year old pastors who have 40,000 followers on TikTok now and they're, they're, they're sharing their faith. Yeah. I just, I don't know how old you guys are or how old the audience is going to listen, but I just want to, I just want to put a word of encouragement to parents. I believe that parents are the most dangerous weapon in the kingdom of God, the mom and the dad. It's, it's why it's, it's the number one thing under assault today. Um, the family, I, I think we've underestimated the power of moms. You know, those stay-at-home moms, those moms that drive their kids to school, they are the greatest asset in the kingdom. And I also think fathers. You know, I'm blown away. There's only one person that I've ever gathered in Scripture. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, there's one person in the New Testament that Jesus followed beyond his father. And it was in Matthew, I believe it's 918, Jarius, the religious leader, comes and he falls at the feet of Jesus He's weeping because his daughter has just died. And he tells Jesus, my daughter has just died, but come and lay hands on her and she will live. And the next verse says, and Jesus arose and began to follow him. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. The tears of a father provoked the Messiah to change his direction that day. Or some would argue he already knew he was going to go there. I don't know. But I would say this. There There is a difference when a mom cries versus a father's cry. Father's cry, a mother's cry, I feel like produces compassion. But when a father weeps, it produces almost a sense of fear in a way from the enemy, I believe. Because the the enemy knows when a father's heart breaks for something, something's going to move. I believe that men and fathers need to awaken in this hour in prayer. They need to cry out to God for their young people. They need to win the hearts of their young people back. I get parents all the time. They say, what do I do? You know, my kid's going wild. And I was like, man, I think you should win their heart. And they're like, what does that mean? I said, go get them an ice cream, go see a movie, hang out with your son, hang out with your daughter, win them again. 
You know, I, I just think that the greatest battle right now is for the hearts of young people. For those of us who are interested in figuring this all out, um, in learning more about you and learning more about your book, how do we go about doing that? Yeah, you can go to brianbarcelona.com. Um, there's tons of info there. I'm, I have uploaded chapter videos. I'm also going to keep I'm uploading some training videos. Um, so we're, we're excited uh, just to see what happens this year and really believe this book is going to touch many lives. Thank you so right much on. for making time for us. Yeah, I can't yes, wait to pick it you. up. Yes, thank you guys. And thank you so much for joining us. And for listening today, don't forget to subscribe. We'll talk to you again on Connections.